0: bang, they're all gone. Climate disruption is a major factor. Everything at the moment is moving in the wrong direction.
1: I'm Kate Parker. This is Warming Signs, a podcast with the sound minds of science. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. Here's the deal. Earth's biodiversity is dwindling at a dizzying rate, and scientists, they're sounding the alarm. But are humans really causing a mass extinction event on par with the disaster that wiped out the dinosaurs? I spoke with expert biologist Paul Ehrlich from Stanford about the sixth great mass extinction. And honestly, a lot of what he had to say kind of blew my mind. He had a lot to say on whether or not it's possible to reverse this assault on Earth. Paul, one species going extinct is something that everyone can wrap their mind around. But mass extinctions, those are a whole different bag of worms. So how do you explain mass extinctions to someone who's unfamiliar with the concept.
0: When you're in a mass extinction, you know that extinction rates, that is how rapidly species are disappearing, go up very high. And so the issue is, do you know we have a high rate of extinctions today compared to the standard rate of extinction over the billions of years that life has existed on the planet? And so paleontologists have looked very, very carefully at the fossil record of some groups like mammals. And seeing how fast certain fossils disappear from the record, remember uh, you can you can think of sort of a cross section of time in which fossils will appear in the record that is in the rocks for a certain amount of time and then disappear. And in fact, the mass extinctions give us the times when we actually divide the geological record. Probably, you may remember from junior high school, uh, the Jurassic, Triassic, Cretaceous periods in which there were dinosaurs and so on. The boundaries between those periods generally represent mass extinctions, that is, or often represent them. That is, when you stop seeing one kind of fossil and all of a sudden they all disappear and the next layer of fossils is a different kind of fossil, then uh, you that's how we have detected the rate of past extinctions. Now, we have records of what's been disappearing since about 1500, and we see that the rate today is at least 100 maybe a thousand times higher and maybe even more than that than in the periods between mass extinctions in the past so we know
1: whoa a thousand percent higher
0: yeah we have much higher rates of extinction today than we had during the background period. That is, not during the past mass extinctions, but in the times between the mass extinctions, species were still going extinct, but they were going to extinct at a relatively gradual rate. The mass extinctions are marked by a very rapid disappearance of biodiversity, and that's exactly what we're seeing today. and that that happens to be today. There are arguments about why we had mass extinctions in the past. The most famous is the uh, time that the dinosaurs went extinct when most scientists believe that an asteroid hit Earth and killed off almost everything. That was about 65 million years ago. And we are in another period like that, not quite as fast as an asteroid hit, but probably much faster than the extinction, for example, at the end of the Permian period, which is sometimes called the Great Dying, and which scientists think were caused by unusual volcanic activity and that sort of thing. That went on for millions of years. The mass extinction that got the dinosaurs, we think, went on for just days, basically. And today... Uh, it's going on in a period of years. Uh, f- from geological time po- point of view, we're having an extremely rapid extinction of humanity's life support systems. And guess who's causing it? I bet you can yeah, guess.
1: I-, I bet I could guess. But I have to say, when you're talking about all of this, this uh, whole rate of change thing sounds awfully familiar. Yes, we have had more carbon dioxide in our atmosphere, but it is the rate of the increase that is so crucial here. Is there a tie to our increased greenhouse gases, our warming planet, and this mass extinction?
0: An immediate tie. Uh, Climate disruption is a factor. We're doing a lot of studies, not of populations of species anymore, because more important is watching the this extinction of the populations, the the units in species that supply us with the things we have to have. Uh, we're having a massive uh, extinction of populations around the planet. Uh, you know, if you have a few elephants hanging on, they no longer serve the function that elephants function in human society.
1: So we're talking a lot about the animal civilizations and these populations. Are they having an impact on our ability to survive into the future? Humans' ability to survive. Are we tied to these plant species and animal species that are dying off at such a rapid rate?
0: Well, only if we want to (laughs) live, you know.
1: Oh, yeah. I think maybe I'd uh, be interested in that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the... Humanity is utterly dependent on what scientists often describe as ecosystem services or natural services. That is, the plants and animals of the planet supply us with our food, uh, which is kind of important. I mean, the, one of the biggest impacts of, uh, of climate disruption uh, is on agriculture, because agriculture, just like, by the way, the butterflies I studied, are utterly dependent our crops on the proper environmental envelope which is basically mostly climate Uh, and as we change the climate when we add carbon dioxide to the atmosphere uh, we are changing the situation for crops and they're already suffering so one of the the huge problems we're facing is feeding an ever-growing population of human beings now interestingly uh, you know we 're vastly overpopulated. The population is still growing, and yet the more people we have, the more carbon dioxide goes into the atmosphere. Our food system itself supplies about is it about thirty five percent of the carbon dioxide going into the atmosphere and changing the climate comes from our food
1: system. When people think about these, you know, animals that are going extinct, what are some of the ones that to you are most vital or um, most upsetting it, to know that well, we're losing?
0: I think one of the, the we have actually a, an interesting comparison here because the ones that attract the most attention, like the elephants, like the pandas, uh, like, the, uh, like the rhinos, Uh, are big, spectacular animals uh, that are obvious when they go, and a lot of attention is paid to them in the press. And, you know, it's quite easy to say, well, you know, are you really harmed if the Sumatran rhino goes extinct? Or are you really harmed um, if we wipe out the passenger pigeon uh, in the United States? Uh, And the answer is yes, in a couple of ways. First of all, Although the ecological functions that those species once supplied may, uh, uh, may go away, if we can preserve them, we tend to preserve the habitat and the climate and everything else that all the other organisms have to have. Uh, You know, you Ah, really So it's like
1: the chain.
0: By saving the big charismatic ones, you then have to have lots of land for them. You have to have the proper plants and so on. And so what is required to maintain them also maintains the things that are making our soil nutritious, that are pollinating our crops, that are destroying the pests that attack our crops, I mean, we're seeing a, an extinction crisis in North American bats, and a single bat colony in some circumstances can destroy many tons of, of plant pests that are eating our crops. Uh, and When you lose them, you don't notice that the bats are gone ordinarily, uh, but what happens is the cost of raising crops goes up, and the amount of damage done by insect pests on crops goes up.
1: So if we protect the big, charismatic animals, we save the species that depend on them. And in the process, maybe even ourselves. But the fate of some of those blockbuster beasts in the wild is uncertain, which brings us to one of our recurring segments, Warming Signs, where we examine the evidence of change all around us. I recently spoke with Mike Gunton, creative director for natural history at the BBC and the man behind the Dynasties series. While his accent is amazing, the audio quality, not so much. But his perspective is so worth it because Gunton and his team followed families of chimps, lions, tigers, penguins, and painted wolves for years. And he told me just how brutal the struggle for survival can be.
2: In the Lions film, which is the first episode uh, that we showed in Dynasties, there is conflict between the the local herdsmen and the lions because effectively they are overlapping, they're bleeding across the the borders where the lions' territories are and where the people are are herding them. And some of that is, I think it's unarguable, that that is illegal. And they bring their their cattle in, and of course the lions will take advantage of grabbing a a cow if they can. The herdsmen um, retaliate by lacing a, effectively poisoning a carcass and the the lions take this poison and a number of them die and it's it's bitterly it's a bitter thing to watch because you know you have literally been watching these 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 lions and particularly one of the young youngsters um you think to yourself that's that they were only they were only doing what they were trying, you know, they were just trying to survive, and it, it, it's quite a, it's quite a, a moving moment. And then in the tiger film, the issue there is that the, the national parks. Um, I think the general consensus is that they they need to be bigger. In an ideal world, they need to be bigger because lo- tigers do. Tigers are pretty good, you know. They'll, they'll breed pretty effectively, and they'll produce lots of cubs. And they, you know, they're, they're very good at what they do. But they just need. You know, if you have a national park with a certain number of tigers in it and they keep breeding, inevitably you're going to fill up. So what happens? Well, the tigers have nothing, no choice but to leave the parks. And as soon as they leave the parks, then they're immediately in contact with humanity. Because in India particularly, you know, there's such an enormous population, such a dense population. You can't go very. It's, it's, there's not very far you can go before you bump into a village, and you know if you're if you're a villager in India and a and tiger walk, walks into your village, that's a scary thing, and inevitably people react as you would, um, and so that's that creates a lot of tension. So I think both those films have very very acute and very you know upfront examples of a, this clash between humans and animals. And in both cases, the animals don't really come off that well.
1: The powerful impact humans are having on these animals' ability to survive is something Dr. Ehrlich echoed. But he also had plenty of reasons to be hopeful.
0: The reason that the rhinos are disappearing and the elephants uh, is for a trade in in rhino horn, which idiots think uh, improves their sexuality and trade in ivory, uh, and it's been very hard to reduce that, and a, a terrible story. In um, the rhinos, we thought Viagra might actually save the rhinos, because the <laughs> rhino horn, which is the equivalent to your nail clippings, uh, doesn't work. But Viagra <laughs> does work, so, but we just learned that the people the rhinos and grinding their horn to sell as an aphrodisiac are now adding Viagra to it, so the rhino horn actually seems to work.
1: That's oh, the, wow.
0: Isn't that, isn't that the dullest story, I've mean, that's that most depressing thing I've heard in the last year? Oh.
1: Uh, this is, this is heavy. I mean, when you're talking about your great-grandchildren ch- that you have and, you know, what your colleagues have seen over the years and yourself and um, the changes and the population decline, and I mean, all of this is heavy, it's dark, but is there any yeah. hope for the future of species?
0: The hope is that we will change and act politically to move in the right direction. We want to give every person who's now on the planet a decent life. That should be our goal. We know actually how to do almost everything that needs to be done. Uh, It's really a problem of uh, a... We're we're a brand new uh, force on the planet, and we are a small group species. In other words, we lived for hundreds of thousands of years and more in groups of... 20 to 30 to maybe 150 people and we've never learned to live in huge groups that's what we're struggling to do but all of this is solvable if we have the political will
1: where there's a will there's a way Big thanks to Paul Ehrlich and Mike Gunton for their insights and be sure to check out the dynasties or as Mike says, dynasties, so much more posh, series on the BBC. Don't forget to subscribe to Warming Signs because we're going to give you a new episode every Tuesday. That's right. Brand new content every Tuesday, right in the middle of your week whenever you need it bad. This podcast would not be possible without our producers, Mia Bichak, Dan Bright, and Jim Robinson, who are pretty much the greatest team you could ever want to work with. If you wanted to ask me questions about this or continue the conversation, please tweet at me. You can find me on Twitter at WeatherKait. That's weather K-A-I-T. Weather WeatherKait. Bye.